We continue in our message series about growing closer to God. And part of that process to grow closer to God is to be in covenant relationship with God and to bring forth to God fruitfulness and faithfulness that he works within us by his Holy Spirit. So we enter this stewardship season, Thy Kingdom Come, continuing in our message series on grow closer to God. And today's sermon is teaching us to pray, to pray with agur and to pray to the Lord. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Now, in a moment, we're going to be turning to the prayer of agur from Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. Let's pray together as we prepare to turn to that prayer. Father, Lord, we come before you and we ask our Father in heaven that, Lord, you move within us by your Holy Spirit, that we might truly hear your word, hear you, love you, and follow your way, the way of life, through Jesus Christ our Lord, by the presence and power of your spirit, Lord, bringing your word to us. In Christ's name, amen. Well, this is a great treat for me today because I have the opportunity to perhaps introduce some of you, perhaps for the first time, to one of my favorite writers and figures of the Old Testament, Agur. We have been studying the book of Proverbs in my Sunday school class, and it struck me as we came to Proverbs 30 that even perhaps a majority of my Sunday school class back here in the chapel group, and these are folks who studied the Bible a lot, many of them, uh, Agur was new to them. So let me introduce Agur to you. Again, he's one of my favorite figures, uh, something of a cryptic background. We don't know a lot about Agur, but we know these things. When you open the book of Proverbs chapter 30, it's all from Agur. And uh, several things to note about Agur. Agur brings the only oracle in the entire book of Proverbs. Uh, he tells us that he has a masa, a burden upon him that God has given him to bring this message that is then laid out in Proverbs chapter 30. So if you like prophetic messages, you know, kind of a fusion of wisdom and prophecy in Proverbs 30, that's a unique thing about Agur. Another thing that's interesting about Agur is that he lays out seven numerical sayings across the page of Proverbs chapter 30. Is, as I said in Sunday school today, is that by accident, do you think? You think he wrote it and then a few years later said, oh, lo and behold, there are seven numerical sayings that structure my chapter or my writings here. No, of course not. And you know, seven in the Bible is the number for completion and also for the completion of the intersection of the three plus the four, in other words, the vertical God uh, with the created order and the earth. But there's something else that, that's interesting about Agur, but there's something else that's unique. The same way he is the only, he brings the only oracle in the book of Proverbs, he also gives us the only prayer. There is one prayer, one, count it, <laughs> one prayer in the book of Proverbs and it is the prayer of Agur. I hope I have you a little bit interested in Agur now and Agur's prayer because we're going to turn to that. Proverbs chapter 30. And Tabor, the next time you do, if you do a Bible trivia uh, chapter on this, we, you can have Agur in here for several things. So, 
Proverbs chapter 30. Hear now God's word, verses 7 through 9. Agur's prayer in the midst of his larger oracle. Two things I ask of you. He's praying to the Lord now. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Now, I just read the ESV translation. The Hebrew there literally means my allotted bread or my apportioned bread, okay, my daily bread. Um, so do this for me, and here's the reason, verse 9, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Give me neither poverty nor riches. It's a question that we all should be asking every day when we wake up in the morning, when we move through the day, and it's a question that if, if you're in a household with other people, you should be asking this question for your household as well. How should I pray? How should I address God, talk to God, and listen to God? How should I pray? And flowing from that, because you understand, we understand, especially we remember at this time of the year, our pledges, our commitments to God are part of our prayer and spiritual life. How should I pray and how should I pledge? Well, today we're going to talk about this. This is something of a a tutorial for all of us, reminder for us, for those of us perhaps who are just learning to pray and perhaps learning to pledge. You know, for some of us, the idea of committing, for instance, to give to God. Wait a minute, you mean I'm supposed to actually, like, care about, you know, God? And Yeah, as we grow in this, as we mature in this, how should we pray? How should we pledge? Well, the first thing to ask is, what should I be and what should we be seeking in our prayers, and in our pledges that flow out of our prayers. Well, you can see that uh, I've got an opportunity for you to look at three blanks in your sermon notes. Hopefully, we'll get it up on the screen too, but you can follow along in the sermon notes as well. Seek God's number one, number two. You notice I have a, a backslash there because there's going to be a word that's kind of flexible, multidimensional, in number two. And number three, what, what are the primary things we should seek in our prayers and in our pledges. Uh, if you know the Westminster Confession, you may say, well, the glory of God and to enjoy him forever. Yes, but how do we do that? How do we grow in that? And so we're going to fill in the blanks here. First of all, we're going to turn to David's Psalm 27, verse 8. And there, David is in a prayer conversation with God. And David says... When you said, in other words, God, when you said to me, Lord, when you said to me, seek my face, my pani, okay, my face, God said, you need to seek my face, my heart, David says, my heart responded, 
Your face, O Lord, I do seek. Now, let me just make a preaching point here. There are many of us that God is saying, seek my face, and we're ignoring God. Okay, we're living out a life where we're looking at everything on the glowing rectangles that capture our attention, all the flash and the buzz, and we're not seeking the face of God very much, if at all. And so when, when God said to David, though, look, here's your main priority for life. Seek my face, because in my face are all things. In my face are all blessings, or peace, life everlasting, how you are made. Seek my face. David's heart replied, your face, O Lord, I will seek. So, in other words, the first thing and central thing we should seek, if you want to glorify and enjoy God, you want to seek God's face, right? So, seek God's face in my prayers and in my pledges. Secondly, we get the answers to number two and number three from another verse of Scripture, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus says, um, Jesus says, but seek first, we just sang this verse, <laughs> but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. So in other words, we should seek the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. So, putting this together, seek God's face, God's kingdom, and God's righteousness. But let me get a little more complex with you on the middle one, because this is going to be the middle of all of our conversation today. Uh, the, the term there, basileon tutheu, it's usually Jesus, as Matthew quotes him in Matthew's gospel, talks about the kingdom of heaven. And sometimes you'll read in bad commentaries or bad Bible study writers that, well, it's because Matthew's very Jewish and he doesn't want to mention God or whatever. Matthew talks a lot about God. He names God, okay? Even, you know, quotes Jesus excessively saying that we should call God our father. That's not what's going on there. But it is notable when we do get through Matthew when Jesus specifically says the Basileon to Theu, and that's what he does in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. And that word means not just like a space. I want to expand our understanding of what this means, because this is key to this passage and all the Bible and all your Christian growth. The kingdom of God is not just a place. It's a rule and a reign. So in other words, when you seek God's basileia, you're seeking his rule in heaven and on earth and in you. In other words, God, I want you to be in charge. I want to be part of your reign. Okay? That's what that word really means dynamically and relationally and per personally. It's like when Jesus says, in my Father's house are many rooms. If you think about, oh, God, oh, thank you, Jesus. When I die, I will be in a room. No, 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 the point is you'll be with the Father. Do you follow what I'm saying? So it's, it's, not, it's not just about a, a structure or a space. It's about a living relationship. And here, centrally, Jesus is calling us to seek God's face, which is the key to being in a living relationship with God. Remember the ironic blessing? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. Um, God's rule, 
and God's righteousness because if we're going to live in God's righteousness, we're going to be living by his rule, okay? In other words, we're going to come under the authority of God through Jesus Christ and the righteousness of Christ becomes ours under the kingdom. So in my prayers and in my pledges, God calls me to seek his face, his rule, or his kingdom, and his righteousness. Not my righteousness, notice, his righteousness, which he gives to me. Everything I really need is going to come from God. I'm not going to produce this off on my own. Which brings us to the next point that Jesus teaches us about faith and prayer and pledging. Don't bow to another master. Don't bow to another master. For example, Jesus uses this example, money, and the idolatry of money, mammon. Don't seek another master's rule and kingdom. Now, if I'm into money, I'm going to live under the rule of money. Do you follow what I'm saying? I'm I'm looking for the power of money, the rules of money, and the rule and the reign of money. So Jesus specifically says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, right after teaching us about prayer, he flows from that and says, no one can serve two masters. You can't say, well, I like God, but I also like my money and my stuff and my property and my lake house and this and that. So I kind of can, I'm, I'm complex enough, God, I can handle all this together. No, Jesus says, look, you cannot serve two masters. You can only have one king. You can only be under one rule. Because either Jesus says he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, Jesus says. He would expand that. You can't serve God and idolat- you know, have an idolatry about academic credentials. You can't, you can't serve God and worship your child like your child is God. You, you have to decide who rules your heart and your life and get the priorities in order. You cannot serve God in money. So real prayer is, isn't to or seeking another master or another master's rule, another master's kingdom. There are a lot of folks that live around us that are seeking and, in effect, praying to and serving money or power or prestige or being popular on the Internet or in social media and posting how great everything... Yeah, it's like you've got to decide. You're going to spend more time with God or your social media account? Which God are you serving And real prayer, it turns out, does not end with my will and my wants. Now, I can say this pastorally, and I think this is also as a preacher, theologically, God invites us to pray to him about everything. You can come to God. Jesus himself comes to God, the Father, with Lord, please, you know, this would work out really well for me. If the... But a prayer cannot end there, should not end there. Real prayer can't end there because real prayer is a conversation and a dynamic of seeking the Lord's face. And the Lord, he's so gracious, he turns us around. Actually, you know what, God, I guess maybe that bonus isn't the be-all, end-all. Maybe now that I'm in fifth grade and I want that other, that little fifth grade girl to like me, maybe that's not the end of my story entirely if she doesn't like me. or It's like, look, 
prayer causes us, and we see this centrally in what we looked at a couple weeks ago with the sermon on sure of salvation. And remember how we look to the way Jesus prays. It's recorded in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Father, Abba, Father, take this cup from me. That's Jesus' will at that moment. But then what does he do? He says, because he's in prayer, right? He's actually seeking the Father's face. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus prepares to go to the cross to save us, to die for our sin. So real prayer should not end with, it's okay to begin with some of the stuff, but not shouldn't end with our will or our wants. Lord, if I could just get that new car, if I could just get that new job, if I could just get into that school, if I could just get tenure, if I could just get that grant. No, no, no. It's not where your prayer is supposed to end. So Jesus says, pray then like this. And then we have the Lord's Prayer for Disciples. Now, sometimes, and popularly and traditionally, it's called the Lord's Prayer. I would view that as being short form for the Lord's Prayer for disciples. A lot of times people go off on a rant about that. Well, that's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John 17, and that's true. I mean, that's, that is Jesus' prayer, and Jesus has other prayers, including the one I just mentioned that's recorded in Mark chapter 14, verse 36. Abba, Father, uh, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. But this is the Lord's teaching for how his disciples are to pray, the manner of prayer. So that brings us to, well, what does Jesus teach? And a couple key things you gotta look at with prayer. The address and the ask. The address and the ask. In other words, whom are we addressing? And by the way, how are we supposed to address that person? And what are our petition or petitions? The address, I hope you get this one right. You should know this. And again, go back to what we preached. It's kind of a pair of sermons here. Two weeks ago, sure of salvation. The prayer is to our Father in heaven. But if we're spiritually reflective on this, how can I, how can we address God as our Father? I mean, Jesus can. How do we do that? Well, again, go back to that sermon two weeks ago, Sure of Salvation, and, and look at the key scriptures I referred to, you know, talking about Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, and Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of Jesus, as Paul puts it in Galatians chapter 4, the Spirit of the Son works within our hearts so that we cry out to God, Abba and Father. In other words, through Jesus and by his Spirit testifying within our spirit, we cry out to Father. And, and as I mentioned in that sermon, I believe that this is correct, that probably what's going on in the early church is when the Christians come together, remembering how their Lord and Savior cried out to the Father, they also cry out in the freedom of people who've been saved and named in Jesus. And so they also prayed in the same way in the early church. Abba, you know, Aramaic is not common for Romans folks and Greco-Roman folks, but Abba, that Aramaic, and the Father. Okay, what about the ask? For what? Well, Jesus teaches us a form of praying 
that is, again, remember I already introduced the number seven? Okay, again, it's not by accident that there are seven petitions flowing after our Father in heaven. And there's a sequencing, again, the three and the four, you can track with it, right? Not surprisingly, I mean, this is Jesus, the divine son, right? Not surprising, we've got three having to do with God, and then flowing from that, four having to do with our life here on earth and preparing uh, for ultimate victory in Christ. There are three petitions for God's what? I hope you can already fill in the blank here because I've already pretty much introduced this concept. They're going to be prayers for, okay, so hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, or thy, thy rule come on earth as it is in heaven, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in other words, God's name is going to be glorified on earth like it is in heaven. Um, God's kingdom or his rule is going to come and what his will is will be effectuated on earth. What's the way to sum all that up? It's of course the central one that Jesus gives us. The rule of God. The kingdom of God. So if God is effectuating his rule on earth and in my life, then that means his name is hallowed his kingdom comes, and his will is done, okay? So basically, all three petitions at the beginning are about God's rule being effectuated on earth as it is in heaven. And then there are four petitions. What are we supposed to ask for? What are we supposed to pray for? What's the style of petition for us? These are petitions for me to live under God's, guess what? Fill in the blank, rule. What does it look like for me to live in God's kingdom, under God's rule? Well, I ask for four things. You all know the four petitions, right? Give us this day our daily bread, okay? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, and then four, but deliver us from the evil one. So how can I pray for God's rule or God's kingdom on earth in me. And that's the way you pray. And you pray in all this for his kingdom to come in me, in my life, in the way I pledge, and in the way I follow through on my pledges, and the way I live my witness as a Christian. Now, let's go a little bit deeper on the first of the four petitions for us under God's gracious rule. And that is the petition, give us this day our daily bread. Now you notice how guardrailed that petition is. It's kind of shocking because after we've prayed about the kingdom of God and God's rule, you're expecting a really big petition when we get down to, okay, now, now, how am I going to live my life? And God, how can you equip me and empower me to be a strong Christian? The first thing I ask for is give me today my daily bread. And by the way, notice it's not, give me for the next five years, give me a store of bread so that I can manage it and control it and figure out my great-grandchildren will be well provided for as you give me all this bread over the course of the entire history of human life. No. Give me this coming day. Literally, that's what the Greek means. This coming day. My daily bread. Period. Very limited. 
And, and what is that daily bread supposed to remind me of if I am a person of faith who actually reads the Bible? Where's that taking me? Back to Exodus, right? And back to the Israelites, the Hebrew people, when they're out in the desert after they've been delivered from slavery. And God, you can read about this in Exodus chapter 16, provides for them bread, what they end up calling manna from heaven. And he has specific apportionments for each person. And a person gets greedy and wants to take more than his apportionment is, what happens? It doesn't turn out well, right? You get judgment, and by the way, the bread goes bad, and worms get in, and it's really bad. But what do we want to do as human beings in the flesh? We want to save some bread and organize some bread and get it all managed. And no, 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 God says, no, 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 you got to trust me every day for just daily bread, period. And I'll give you two days on the Sabbath, preparing for the Sabbath, and it won't rot. It'll last through two days, but you're going to see this is all coming from me. I'm the giver of everything. And you're going to have to trust me and grow in faith. Now, what's interesting about this, too, is when you read Exodus 16, in verse 4, God gives his rationale for this. And this is why I have this thing. Manna is a daily, if I'm praying for daily bread, I'm praying not only for a daily gift, but also for a daily what? What else is the manna? It's a daily test. Do you follow? It's a daily test. It's a gift and a test. And if I'm going to pray, Jesus is teaching us to pray for a daily gift and daily test. Is that bad? No, according to the Bible, testing is good. As James says in chapter 1 of James, testing of your faith is a blessing, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness will have its full effect, bringing you to full perfection and completion. It's a gift from God, actually, to test us. A lot of us are praying that we not be tested, and God is saying, well, why are you doing that? But pray for daily bread and pray for testing. It's a good thing when we run into challenges and God grows us in our faith through it. It brings the completion of us in our faith. We learn that actually I don't control the bread supply and I don't control what's going on in Ukraine and I don't control this, you know, I'm not in charge of the world. I'm asking for God's rule. Testing your faith is a blessing and all of that brings us to, back to, I guess I should say, my good friend, Agur the one I'm trying to highlight for you today. And we'll turn to Agur again next week on Reformation Sunday a bit as well. Agur's prayer and the Lord's prayer for the Lord's disciples is about seeing and seeking God for who he is and seeing ourselves for who we are. John Calvin, in the famous first sentence of the Institutes of the Christian Faith or Religion, says this, our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two things. Two things, Calvin says. The knowledge of God and who he really is, and the knowledge of ourselves and who we really are. That's wisdom. Putting everything in perspective, which is exactly what Agur's prayer does. It's God-exalting, and it's humble about who Agur is and who you and I are, about his and our mortality and how we are sinners who need to be saved by the grace of God. Uh, an old 
An old commentary from a couple hundred years ago by Charles Bridges puts it this way, Agur prays with all the intense earnestness of a dying sinner. A dying sinner. Do you understand you're mortal? We're mortal? And we're coming before the eternal God in prayer? Agur gets it. And so he begins by saying, look, before I die, I know I'm dying. And I need to really, I really want to live faithfully before I die. I, I'm going to ask you just two things, two things. Okay. So that's the way he starts. And then what are the two requests? For spiritual needs and physical needs, each with realistic limits. Agur is praying that God will put guardrails around him. You ever pray for that? That's what Jesus, that's what the Bible is teaching us to pray. Put guardrails around me, not just my children, <laughs> but around me too, right? So he says, these are his requests. First of all, remove far from me vanity or empty deception and then also lying. Now the word that the ESV translates as um, empty deception it's a word, the shalv, shalv is the, is the Hebrew. And where do I see that word elsewhere in the Bible that I ought to pay attention to? Back over in the third commandment, okay? Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The word there actually is the same word. It means emptiness, emptiness. So in other words, this is not saying, like, just, oh, well, you shouldn't curse with God's name. That's, not, that's a lot bigger thing that's being said in the third commandment. Don't throw around God's name, but be empty about it spiritually. Okay? That's emptiness. That's a bubble. That's false gold that will pop. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in emptiness, in vain. And the opposite of that, um, kavad, kaved, uh, to glorify is to give great weight to God, okay? Emptiness with God, slapping his name around, but actually being empty towards him, which by the way is a key issue on pledging, okay? And also giving great weight and glory to God. Um, and then also falsehood, deceptive, deceptions being deceived by others, deceiving myself, and notice, I love Agur because he's so honest about himself. He doesn't say, move it slightly to my side so I can kind of access it when I need to. What does he say? Remove it far from me. And parents, we want to pray for that for our children. Remove far from our children, far from our teenagers, far from our young adults. Emptiness, this world is full of emptiness. False ideas and false hopes and deception. Remove them far from me. And then, of course, give me neither poverty nor riches. Oh, this is a big disappointment. Maybe I should mark this out of the Bible. Look, God, you don't understand. I'm the really faithful one. If you would make me the wealthiest person on earth, I would be the most faithful missionary and mission supporter in the history of humanity. No, that's not what he prays, right? 
give me neither poverty nor riches. Not give me riches so I can be so faithful. And by the way, on the other extreme, oh God, I need to atone for my sins, so just strike me with total poverty and I'll take vows of poverty and prove that I'm the best monk ever and therefore justify my salvation. No, not that either. Give me neither poverty nor riches. He wants limits. He wants guardrails. Pray for guardrails for yourself. These are negative requests, notice, (laughs) but they move in a positive direction. And then he asks only for, in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, lecham kuki, that means my bread portion. And where does that take us back to? Exodus 16, which is talking about what? Daily bread which is why exactly this prayer totally connects with Jesus' teaching to us in the Lord's Prayer. Give me my daily bread. Give me my bread portion. That's all I want. That's what Agur prays. That's how Jesus teaches me to pray. Um, Tear it off is the literal Hebrew. Tear off for me only my bread portion. And what are the reasons and the acknowledgments here? lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Because if my life is full, and if the Bulldogs did win the SEC championship, you know, I mean, and if everything just turned out great, or at least I can hope about it in social media about it, then I don't have time for God. This is what Moses warned the Israelites about when they went to the promised land. He said, you're going to get there, you're going to get fat and happy and busy, and you're going to forget God. You're going, to build, you know, you're going to have houses and, and property and gold and success, and you're going to think about how great your team is and how great your army is and how great your stuff is, and you're going to forget about the, the Lord your God. Moses warns Israel about this. What about Americans? What about you? What about me? Oh, yeah. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and get desperate and steal and profane your name. This is all circling back around, obviously the first three commandments and certainly the third commandment, the name of the Lord. Here's Derek Kidner's great summary of Agur's prayer. Lead me not into temptation. Lead me not, the Lord's prayer. And Agur's two requests concern Agur's character and circumstances that can threaten his character. Put it another way, Pray for your soul and circumstances that could threaten the stake and the the state of your soul before God. Finally, on Agur, verse 32 of Proverbs 30. If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, and by the way, devising evil also, Agur says this, put your hand to your mouth. Would you do this with me? This is part of the way we're supposed to pray. (laughs) Put your hand to your mouth if you've been exalting yourself, Agur says. That's Proverbs 30, verse 32. If you've been exalting yourself and thinking you're better than you are, put your hand to your mouth. Calm down. Seek the face of the Lord. And in the good news of the New Testament, we know this in Jesus Christ, we know the Father loves us and calls us to himself. So let us come to him. Thy kingdom come in our prayers, in our pledges, in our lives.